Code Sydney, proud sponsors of Talking Time with Lucas and Alicia. Code Sydney provide nonprofits with online platforms to promote their programs, promote their services, and promote what they do. They have an amazing pay as you feel development. This allows individual startups and established organizations to build applications, but then to pay as they feel. It assists with startup or improving and new to the format. Uh, developers who come forward and gain experience from developing your work for them. So please hit up Code Sydney, code C-O-D-E dot Sydney. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Even if you are a Grinch, still stiff shit. Merry Christmas anyway. Leash, how you doing, buddy? Merry Christmas to you, mate, how, and to your Hi. little ones. How's your, uh, how was your Christmas yesterday? Oh. You know me, love Christmas, absolutely incredible. Um, you know, a bit of a food coma today and chill out time with the kids. So how about yourself? Cricket, cricket, cricket. Boxing day is all about uh, the cricket. Boring. It has been, <laughs> uh, I'm a fat bastard anyway. So yesterday's food just found itself a nice little pocket to sit in. And we topped it off with a couple of ale beverages today um, and uh, just having a play with the kids. And my little fella's uh, been really getting into cricket. So he sort of sat on the couch with me for a few hours and we watched the test and good fun, mate. Good fun everywhere. Absolutely so love it. Gotta love school holidays. Now we have got uh we've got someone special today for Christmas time. Uh we're bringing in uh bringing in a, a, a man who I I call him mate. I think this guy's a, a, a mate of mine that if someone there's an issue that we need chatting about, is he someone that reached out? I know that I started a chat to him when I was in a sort of that mental flat spot. And I know that he's reached out to me and we had a yarn when he had some challenges going on too. And it's uh, hey, the, 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 the founder and, uh, and lead consultant of Arco Fire in uh, South Australia. And it's uh, Mr. Kirby Brownlow. Kirby, how are you, brother? Good, thanks, mate. How you been, Lucas? Merry Christmas to you and yours, mate. How was, uh, how was Christmas Yeah, Merry Day? Christmas, Kirby. It was good. It was very good. I, um, from what I can remember, I ate a lot of food. Um, <laughs> great. Oh, I love it. I love it. Hey man, let's get let's get straight into it because we've got a lot of people that want to hear about your stuff and about what you're up to and what you've been doing. And the first thing we say to everyone on this show is that we don't own anyone else's lived experience. We never profess to be people we are not. And we get people to tell us what they're comfortable in telling us about their own lived experience. So give us a rundown of the Kirby Brownlow story. What 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 got you to where you are now? Give us as many gruesome or as little gruesome detail as you want, but we're uh, keen to hear. Go for it. Thanks, Lucas, and thanks for the opportunity as well, man. Um, we might as well start back at the start, 1984. I was born at Flinders Medical Centre in South Australia here. Um, not long after I was born, I was placed into foster care. I was, um, I was actually abandoned in a vineyard um, as a child, so I, I was in a few respite placements over the course of uh, the early start of my life, and then I was placed under the guardianship of the minister for 18 years, so a foster kid. I always sort of felt different. Um, grew up in a in the main family. I grew up with four girls. I was the only guy, which was was interesting. Um, wow. interesting times, yeah. Um, struggled with school. I was one of them youth at risks sort of um, juvenile delinquent. Uh, but you know, got into to Air Force cadets and tried to balance the ledger a little bit, community service and different things like that. 
Um, and then I applied to join the army at 17 um, and not, got knocked back actually on the initial sort of front, but I just kept fighting and, and appealed to defence headquarters in Canberra and got in a year later. So I did that from 2002 to 2006. Um, but yeah, in terms of my background and sort of growing up, there was a lot of um, sort of trauma, abuse, neglect, that type of stuff, which is, you know, we know that a lot of people that experience uh, that type of stuff uh, as children, um, many do go on to, you know, serve time in prison. So it's, you know, you, there can't be a better case for, you know, early intervention um, than, you know, looking at youth at risk uh, around Australia at the moment. Um, so, yeah, did that. I got out of the army in 06 and I'd actually spent some time in military prison as well um, for some military offending. And that was a, that was a bit of a wake-up call. Got out in 06 and pretty much was just lost, just in a sort of space of alcohol and drugs and poor social network and really, really wasn't focused on, on living a law-abiding life at all. Um, started hanging around some, some different crews and, you know, getting involved in violent crime and things like that. Um, and yeah, it led to uh, nearly 10 years in prison over two sentences, only six months apart. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much where we're at um, wow. yeah, in terms of the time. And, and, and being, in, being in prison was the first time, it was like a college of criminality. There's so many different, you know, it, it, the, the whole world gets opened up and, and you virtually see the underworld you know, within prisons and organised crime and, Know, different gangs and you know, different different reasons as well as to why people are in prison. It's so broad. Um, one thing I did see was a lack of, I guess, rehabilitation within prison uh, in that first five years. After that, I um, started hanging around a motorcycle club for about six months and then racked up a stack of charges. Uh, so I've got that recidivist offender tag, I guess you could say as well. Um, and then, yeah, six months later, I was looking at another 15 years um, and only ended up serving another four. Uh, and when I got out, I thought there's, there's a massive disconnect here with people that are in prison. Um, you know, they've got a whole wide you know, raft of issues that are going on and not just mental health, but you know, everything that goes on in, in, in an individual inmate's life as to why they're in prison. So I saw a bit of a gap in the market um, and formed a consultancy uh, sort of social enterprise training organisation um, that mentors people through their, you know, this, this reintegration word or, or trying to get that softer landing uh, for when they, you know, walk out of the salary port. And I founded that in 2017. Uh, and it's been, it's had a tick ups, but it's, yeah, it's going good guns now. Looks like uh, it's Lucas's turn to mute the mic. Um, so I'm glad it's, it's not me. Hey, Kobe, it's, um, <laughs> it's great of you to share your story with us there. Hey, are you able to, um, you know, talk about having that lived experience and, and letting us know how it's influenced the work you do now and, and, you know, maybe talk to us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, definitely. So I guess my lived experience is fairly broad um, obviously being a you know um, a child in care uh, I've got that that sort of 18 years of being in care that's probably where I guess the first component of uh, my lived experience comes from you know being in care seeing how 
you know, the Department of Child Protection works, you know, what social workers actually are and what they do, uh, you know, and why people, why different types of, you know, young people are in care. It's not just, you know, through abuse or neglect. It could be for a whole different raft of reasons. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, defence service for, you know, four years, it was, I guess, a, another sort of eye-opening experience to see how, you know, the ADF operate and being a part of that um, and then getting out, seeing, you know, some really nasty situations and really a nasty lifestyle that is crime uh, and living in that, that type of space um, only sort of probably full on, full time, I guess, for a couple of years uh, until I was apprehended by police, um, you know, for armed robbery. Uh, obviously, a lot of the, the things that I'd learned in the military were um, appreciated by criminality and criminal groups. So wasn't wasn't that hard to fit into you know you know what different crews or, or whatever we're doing um and then yeah I guess the the lived experience of actually being in prison um was just just a phenomenal experience it's it's something you still recover from uh, I guess being an inmate for that long something that life is and people do you know really really sort of that brick sentence I didn't quite make it to the 10 years so I can't really say brick Sort of half a brick and some and some crumbles, but yeah, it was. It's interesting because when you get out, it's like you go through a time machine. And you know, I remember walking down Rundle Mall here in Adelaide, and everyone was sort of like walking towards me. It's like ten people walking towards me, and they're all like swiping their phones. And smartphones hadn't uh, come out before I went to prison, so I saw all these you know these weird weirdos just like wow. tickling their phone, walking at me, and I was like, well, what, you know, what's going on? And it literally looked like a sort of a zombie apocalypse. Um, so, yeah, I guess getting back into society once once you're sort of living in that that world for so long is, is, is different. It's a culture shift. So there's sort of, I guess, three major culture shifts that I've experienced in terms of the experience over my life. And that's, you know, going from people I didn't even know that were raising me to, you know, getting out of the ADF. That's another transitional phase that a lot of... Um, veterans struggle with and then I guess to get out of prison on two two occasions uh, after I'd finished uh, prison sentences to try and readjust um, and transition back into society so I guess that's why I founded Arco Fire um, as a you know as an organization to be able to assist people and a lot of the people obviously that I've been in prison with here in South Australia I know very intimately obviously in some cases we've been in a cell together um, so I guess helping people navigate uh, existing services that are out there, providing training to them, uh, employment services, um, and peer mentoring is obviously a massive uh, sort of growth area, not just uh, you know, with volunteers, but in paid roles as well. Um, yeah. That's a, you know, a large part of that lived experience to be able to you know, assist people uh, in, in their next journey sort of post-prison. Yeah. So that, that's me and... Uh, not in a nutshell, there's, there's 37 years there, but yeah, it's, it comes with its traumas as well. And, you know, you've got to unpack that and, and deal with that and get that splinter out because, yeah, you know, absolutely. you can really fall into a, to a bit of a spot. So I'm happy to, happy to chat about anything, really. I think it's important <laughs> that, um, you know, people can share their stories when they get out. Um, yeah. In many cases, they're horror stories that I guess members of the general public aren't really aware of you know, all the time. Um, 
we just had a quick chat about how your lived experience has been able to influence the work that you do now. Um, but I'm interested to talk about the perspective of your time within the military. Has sure. that been able to, um, you know, help you in the work that you do through Acrofile or, um, you know, you know, any other mentoring um, programs or work that you do? Yeah, I, I definitely, Alicia, I um. I saw a lot of positive mentorship and, and good role models uh, in the ADF. I saw a lot of negative ones as well. Um, but for many people, they don't know, you know, really what, what does good look like and what is a good role model because it's, you know, something they really haven't been exposed to. I also don't allow uh, governments to, you know, try and say things that, you know, they try to get away with. Obviously, being in defence, it's a part of the federal government. And there's, there's communication um, mediums and, and ways of, uh, you know, talking within bureaucracies. Um, and, you know, I, as an advocate, I really like to just escalate, escalate, escalate when my client's not getting, you know, the best um, existing services that are out there um, and escalate to the point where um, they're getting what they deserve as a human being, not just as, you know, someone that's been in prison. Hey, um, let me ask you this question here, mate. And again, I'm going to stick on this for a sec. Is that you? I've, I've seen and heard of a comment called the lost generation of soldiers. And you mentioned yourself as being a lost generation of soldiers. Is We speak, as you know, a lot with a lot of people around the world in this space. And there seems to be a continuing and growing trend where a link between ex-servicemen and criminality or ex-servicemen and offending is there a link? Am I just making that up? Or can you see from someone with that lived experience that potentially there is a link between those two? I think I think you're right there, um, Lucas, in that, you know, when people leave the ADF, uh, they lose, um, you know, they lose their tribe, their routine, their identity and their purpose. Um, and they'll find that in, in criminality. And if you look at what the ADF is, it's, you know, it's a, it's a large organised armed force, you know, with camaraderie you know I could be talking about a motorcycle club so that transition for, for people to get out of the ADF uh, in particularly men and I guess I can comment from that perspective is that when you look at an infantry platoon and then you look at a motorcycle club there's a lot of parallels there um, in that so yeah I guess it's it's just that people have that 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 soft landing um and they feel comfortable in it you know in that tribe that they're in i think there was another question there too lucas no just just saying as if, if if that was a link if i was making that up in my reading of it and in the speaking of other people around or if you legitimately thought that it was the case but but i will i will go i will go further on it though is so when you come home and when you're, you're home now yourself do you experience or do you engage with many ex-servicemen that come to you for the need for services or come to you for the need for support that's not being offered them offered to them at the moment? I think, yeah, I mean, I have a friends that I've served with that I assist, I guess, not in, not in an official capacity, um, but there are, you know, they've been justice affected in some way. There are veterans that I've served with that have been in, in prison as well. Um, I've actually been invited to speak uh, on a on a symposium in Canada on justice affected veterans because there is there is a link there. Uh, a lot of my mates have got out of the ADF and got involved in in criminality, and I think the lived experience of 
both being in the ADF uh, and both being justice affected. Um, you know, as, as a peer, you're able to relate to those people a lot better than, you know, perhaps what DVA or, or corrections or social workers or existing services that are out there on that sort of, you know, really fundamental brotherly love sort of model, um, which, you know, as you know, you can't buy it, you can't train for it. It's just a, it's a relationship that exists, you know, that, that surpasses all the, you know, the, the official stuff, which is really important. Some vets just want to get together and, and have a yarn and, and talk about how they're doing. And that's, you know, that's massive. You know, you need to get out there and talk to your mates and, and continue talking to them. Cause in many cases, a lot of you know, veterans are taking their own lives. Hey, how do people get access to AcroFire and what sort of services do you provide? So we've got a web presence, um, but my phone is also on 24 seven for anyone that can call. Um, and basically we work on a capacity model. I'm training peer ment mentors up at the moment to be able to handle more, more of the caseload. So we have 10 clients at the moment here in South Australia. Um, they are either funded on a fee-for-service model through NDIS or on a pro bono basis as well. What's that look like? What's that look like for everywhere else? Does it look like a case of, um, does it look like a case where you could expand these services, expand this process around the around the country, or is is is, is Arco Fire going to be South Australia, South Australia only, or are you looking to expand? What's your thoughts on on on, on this moving forward? Yeah, definitely looking. I was recently at an activation that looked at social enterprises and how they could uh, you know alter their governance in order to to expand, and that's definitely something that I want to look at. Um, I know that I've spoken to you in the past, Lucas, about having. Um, a footprint, uh, I guess, a, um, a satellite office or a footprint for ArcoFire in Western Australia. Um, and I would look to, I guess, to you to look to expand and have that that sort of use Western Australia as a forward operating base, if we want to put it like that, to branch out to the other states nationally. I think that there's a lot of people out there that, that have the ability. Um, they have the passion and that lived experience to be able to to really, really enhance uh, our current operation here, which is quite small, um, but it is effective uh, on a national scale. And what that looks like, um, I'm prepared to talk with any stakeholders that are out there that want to put the, I guess, the Arco Fire Bat signal up in the air and, and, and see who needs help. Because we know that existing services, Lucas, uh, in many cases, they operate from, from nine to five, but a lot of the problems that are happening don't necessarily occur between those hours. Yeah, who knows? Right. But you know, I would I would look to um, potentially have contractors um, using uh, ArcoFire's model um, and adding to that model as well. I guess based on what works in that geographic area um, for people, I'm definitely open to that, and I encourage anyone to reach out and, and have a chat to me um, to see if they're they're interested in, in, I guess, forming a little field office or uh, a head office in a capital city somewhere in order to, to really drive home the message. And that is that lived experience, you know, does have a part to play in, you know, the reintegration of people that have, that have been in prison. Hey, let me, let me ask you about how, uh, how this thing rolls. So how are you funded? Do you just get a big dollop of money given to you from, 
um, federal government, then do you have to report back on this? Is there any access to NDIS? Like, what, 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 what does that look like for people outside that might be thinking, you know what, I, I really need some help. I need to get in contact with ArcoFire, but you know what, I've got empty pockets because I'm, I've got social security or I've got kids or I'm, I, I can't pay for it myself. What, what are the opportunities or access abilities for people? Yeah, so our first model is pro bono. So if we've got the capacity to help someone, uh, even in the smallest way, or even having them have a chat to us to link them with existing services and to get them that immediate support, that is something that we've been focused on since day one. Um, and it hasn't always been uh, an income generator. Um, I developed a model based on, quite funnily, actually, the, uh, the models that, of security rating when you're in a prison unit. So in South Australia, we've got basic standard and enhanced regimes, uh, which, which obviously entitle uh, people to certain pr uh, privileges within the prison system. But basically those tiers of service are um, rehab models for the, over the course of 12 months um, that range from low cost to a high cost. Uh, so it is a fee for service. So that there's that mix between um, generating fees from clients at you know, affordable rates and with flexible terms um and also having the the pro bono there as well uh, but ndis uh, obviously because there's a lot of people with uh, disabilities that are, that are getting out of prison ndis has been quite um quite an effective revenue stream for us because a lot of people do need still do need that support um so rather than them uh, not have any any uh, money that that ndis provides that funding there uh, straight away what I would actually like to, to propose as a policy, and it's quite audacious, uh, Lucas, is that we know that it costs $114,000 to keep someone in custody per annum, but what's the back-end cost of that? So we know that there's a cost for, um, you know, the officers for when they discharge that prisoner, but is there a cost for, you know, their reintegration or any, any rehabilitation services for once they're uh, released from prison? And, you know, for example, there could be agencies such as mine where um, corrections as their, their model of rehab over you know, $114,000 over the 12 months, a slice of that money is given to an organisation. Uh, similarly, uh, the way that the NDIS operates with their funding pools. So we know that people, when they go into an NDI, NDIS plan, they're given um, a plan that has uh, funding attached to it. Um, so, for example, someone um, might be given access to the NDIS um, and have, for example, $70,000 per annum in order to provide occupational therapists, peer mentors, and any other sort of therapeutic supports. I would propose that uh, Corrections looks at a model where, you know, just to pull a number out of, out of the air, say $5,000 for an organisation to be, to, to be funded for a peer mentor, um, you know, for psychology sessions. We know that there's a lot of trauma-based uh, offending that goes on. Uh, however, the therapeutic supports are not being given to people while they're in custody. I know that to receive, um, you know, psychological support while I was in prison, I had to start throwing chairs around in the social worker's room just to get the attention of, yeah. And we know that, you know, while people are in prison, they need to either assault someone else, self-harm or assault an officer in order to have those, you know, that therapeutic intervention. Now we know that, you know, uh, Corrections here has about seven odd evidence-based clinical programs. 
you know, that address all the criminogenic factors? Why isn't there regular ongoing support uh, outside of those programs um, to, be, to be able to provide support? I was just talking to my partner the other day. I said, why are there not clinical psychologists in every prison? You know, that would cost a lot of money if we look at, you know, what, is, what a clinical site would cost, um, you know, for a year in a prison like Yatla that's got, Yatla Labor Prison's got 576 inmates. That's probably four clinical, clinical psychologists at 150K yeah. per Absolutely. So, you know, we know that the milk that's being generated out of Canel Training Centre um, generates $600,000 in revenue. Um, wow. There's four. There's four clinical sites for Yatla, which mm. is the which is deemed our, our highest uh, security prison here in South Australia. But that those clinical sites could then, you know, be able to look at um, providing that that you know psychotherapy to people that actually do need it. Um, it, it seems as simple to say uh, this, Lucas, and I don't understand that this is this is not why the system works like this, um, and it's you know it's really frustrating. But going back to that model. You know, people do need the ability to, to have that sort of second chance really rammed home for them um, in terms of some sort of economic model that either social enterprises or you know, job agencies can have therapeutic supports attached. It comes down to where the money's being spent um, and how it can be spent better. Because at the moment, with I think a national rate of 51% of people going back to prison within two years, I think the public's getting jack of it. That's it. You're so true. And it's and more and more taxes keep getting pushed towards it. And we're doing the same thing over and over again and we're getting worse outcomes. And I think it's just a case of um, who's going to who's going to buy it first, who's going to be the first government somewhere, because as we know, governments worldwide, they're, they're especially inside Australia, it's a pissing contest. And if one does one thing, then the next have got a copy, the next have got a copy, the next have got a copy because they don't want to be out on their own. And, you know, Sydney, Sydney started their discussion of putting in, as you know, you know, uh, tablets into uh into into prison cells so then automatically is victoria then okay we'll take that and we'll up it one more and in their new prison that they're building they're now talking about adding touch screens into each cell so you know so what happens next is as soon as we make this one change then others are going to fall in line but it's just a matter of having the progressive enough government the progressive enough ideas to to roll with it so mate we could talk about this all day with you legitimately um and i i i want to make sure that um, we put all your details um, for Arco Fire up on our um, up on our socials, and when um, when this show obviously now has gone up, you know, post Christmas is this is a shitty time of year too, and especially for people that are got incarcerated families, people that are incarcerated themselves. You might be listening to yourself on Christmas Day, um, you know, on Boxing Day. You might be listening to yourself or a family member that's away, and hang tough. Groups like, uh, you know, Kirby's, Kirby's a proof and prime example that you hang tough and stick fat is things work. And you know what? And, and I've said this before, and I'll talk on behalf of Kirby when I say it and Alicia is reach out to us. We'll help hold your hand. We'll help hold your hand and give you an extra, mate. 100%. We ain't, you, you, mate, we get emails from people daily that are in different jails around the country that ask us questions about what we're doing. And, and mate, Mm-hmm. I, I, it's about two o'clock in the morning. I'll take your call. And I know that both of the people that are on this email will do exactly on this podcast. will do the same thing. So, Absolutely. so stay strong. And as uh, mate, thank you so much for what you do, brother. I re- really appreciate you and, and, and you, what you do is life changing and thank you on behalf of a hell of a lot of people for, for, for the hard work you put in.
Thank you, Lucas. So let's chat more on uh, WA. Mate, I'd love you. To, I'd love to incorporate Alicia in that uh, conversation too, because this uh, phenomenal woman over here, if you haven't heard her podcast in the last series, what she brings to the table. Yeah, very powerful woman. Absolutely correct. And there's not, not enough for them, not enough of them getting the chance to be involved in, in, in some of this decision making. But hey, Alicia, to, can you tell the world how people get in contact with us uh, and then obviously see what, um, what, what, what Kirby's doing as well? Yep, we can be reached on Facebook or Messenger, and that is Talking Time with Lucas and Alicia. Um, you can check us out on Twitter, and that one is at time underscore Lucas. Um, view our personal LinkedIn account, so Lucas Kerry or Alicia Hebb, and you can check out our one-stop shop. That is our website, www.talkingtimepodcast.com.au. That has all our contact details on there and links to all of our previous podcast episodes as well. Kirby, thanks so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure having a chat with you. Thanks, team. Cheers. Merry Christmas, legends. Merry Christmas, and we'll speak to you all again next week. Take care.